You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. This is episode 40 of Mission Lab called The Story of God. My name, of course, is Sean, and I am accompanied by my wife, Camille, who is actually sitting behind me and folding laundry. She will not be on this episode tonight, not because she doesn't want to be, but because I thought it would be a good opportunity to go over with our listening audience something that we have referred to in the past called The Story of God. Um, just thought it would be a good chance to share it with you. Uh, it's something that we have gone through as a missional community, as we have introduced people to God. It's also something that is good to just review as uh, those who are already uh, knowledgeable of Scripture. I will say before I share it with you, a couple of preliminary thoughts. Um, this idea came to us from a gentleman who we've mentioned before named Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, He has a church and a ministry out in the Pacific Northwest. And so we've adapted that um, story of God from uh, Jeff and others who created it. We've customized it to be a little more in harmony with uh, how we understand the story of God in Scripture through a Seventh-day Adventist perspective. Not that the story that they share is out of harmony per se, but we just add a little more uh, complexity to it. Um, I don't know if complexity is the right term, but just we fill out the canvas a little bit more. And so um, it's what they've done is really, really good, but I've just updated it, like I said, to fit an Adventist perspective. Uh, we just find that sharing God's story is so effective, not only for those who don't know anything about God, uh, but also for those who may have some familiarity with God, but just don't understand that we are a part of a grand story. Sometimes as Christians, we share things that are from the Bible, but they're kind of all detached ideas, like different teachings and beliefs and doctrines. And we don't necessarily see, much less share them in a way that is a unified whole, that that recognizes that we are involved in this narrative, that we are a storied people that we are a part of a bigger story and uh, that that we're not just, again, these abstract individuals that think only of detached teachings. And so we've just found this to be really, really, really helpful um, as a way for us to recognize that we have a, a personal, relational God and that we are a part of this bigger story. We are a part of God's story. And so uh, that's why I've just found it to be really helpful. It's all also helpful, like I said, very helpful. And this is 
especially for missional purposes, uh, for those who have no understanding of God, those who have never encountered God, those who don't have any knowledge of the Bible. And so we just find that it's a really good introduction to people uh, as it relates to God. Let me also share a little bit about how we format this uh, when we do the story of God. Um, you can do it in many different ways. Uh, of course, there's, a, there's a, a way in which you can do it as a very quick overview with maybe a non-believing friend. Um, if you, you know, instead of giving a doctrinal gospel pitch, so to speak, you can just share with them that we're a part of the story. And obviously we can talk about at another time when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate to do that. So you can condense the story down into a smaller, you know, five minute um, story of, of the big picture of God. Uh, what we have done is in the past, um, we've, we've met regularly, uh, say once a week and done it for the goal was to do it for 10 weeks. And so we have 10 parts of the story, so to speak. And we get together with, again, our missional community, with others who are um, we're introducing to God, and we'll have a supper, we'll, get, we'll come together, and then I or whoever the leader is will just start into the story, each uh, kind of part. And as I said, we, we've done 10 parts. Um, you can do you know, however many parts, you're just kind of giving a big bird's eye view of basically the Bible, but in story form, trying to, to catch all the highlights. Um, so I might take 10 or 15 minutes per uh, episode, so to speak, and uh, just just literally go through the story that particular week. And I will uh, just, I'm not reading it. I'm not reading from the Bible. I'm just sharing it like, you know, freely. Uh, I've not necessarily memorized it. Now I'm somebody who obviously I'm trained as a pastor, as a theologian to, so I have a pretty good grasp of, of, uh, the story. But if you're not as familiar with it, um, of course I would urge you to be come more familiar with it, but, uh, just, trying to draw the highlights and over a 10 or 15 minute time period, just going through that particular part of the story. And then after that 10 or 15 minutes, we will have kind of reflection questions where we will ask, you know, what the person, what the persons who are listening uh, got out of the story, how they understood it, if there was any questions that needed to be clarified, um, whether or not uh, they didn't understand something. And then we'll talk about, well, how do you fit into that part of the story? So that's kind of what we'll do. Like I said, we will do it over 10 episodes, the bird's eye view of scripture, talking about the Bible as this unfolding story of, of God and who he is and what his ways are. So uh, that's what we'll do when we, we do that. And I'm more than happy. I actually don't have every single um, part of the story written out. But I'd be happy to share if you'll email me, seanbrace at gmail.com. I'll be happy to share with you what I do have. I have about seven or eight of the 10 that are actually written out, typed out. Um, and then, uh, then you can use those. You can you know um, share them with others as well if you want. 
Um, I could also point you to Jeff Vanderstelt's resources. Again, they're really good. Uh, they don't necessarily have uh, all of the ingredients that I as a Seventh-day Adventist would have, and they don't necessarily see the bigger story. I don't mean to imply that, um, you know, we have it figured out and he doesn't, but there seems to be even a, 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 a important element that is even bigger to the story of God than what uh, they have seemed to uh, share. But uh, anyway, I could also point you in that direction. Um, as I said, you can share this. Uh, some of the impetus for sharing this particular episode was uh, my parents were up at our house this weekend and my mother was sharing how she was talking to a couple of uh, young ladies recently and they said, oh man, well, we could never, you know, give people a Bible study because we don't know the book of Revelation that well. We don't know, you know, Daniel. We don't know all the texts for this or for that. And so when we have our uh, non-Christian friends, we don't, we can't give them a Bible study. And she said, well, do you ever think about maybe you could just share with them the story of God? Just go through who God is and go through the big stories of scripture and, and tie in how you know, God's whole story is unfolding. And they were quite surprised that maybe that was, that was enough, um, that that was a good introduction. Now, this is not the entirety of what it means to disciple somebody in, in uh, the faith, but it's certainly a very, very good introduction so that people can see the big picture and see that, as I said, God is a relational narrative uh, uh, being that... Um, he has a story and that he has a history and he has a future. And, and by God's grace, we can be a part of that as well. So those are my preliminary thoughts. And so I'm going to now share with you the story of God. And I honestly don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know if I'm going to do a five-minute version or if I'm going to do a 50-minute version. You obviously know already by the fact that you're looking down at your phone and you're seeing that the episode is X number of minutes long from here on out. So just bear with me. Um, I'm going to begin now with the story of God. Before time began, before there was any creature in the universe, there was simply God. But God wasn't alone. There was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three persons make up the family that is known as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They lived in perfect harmony with one another. They loved one another. They lived lives of complete, self-giving, other-centered love. They ever lived to bless and to serve one another, and they did just that. As is natural, though, love creates. And so they brought the galaxies into existence. They brought angels into existence. They brought worlds into existence. And everything that was brought into existence lived in complete harmony with this spirit of love and other-centeredness and self-giving. And all was well and all was beautiful and all was good and everyone was happy until eventually there was this created being who was the highest order of created beings. His name was Lucifer. He was an angel that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and created had created, and they placed him in charge of overseeing other angels that lived out the 
principles of love. But one day Lucifer became unhappy and he became jealous and he wanted to undermine God. And so that's what he did. And over time, he convinced a third of the angels that God had created, that God wasn't who he said he was, that God was not love, that God was controlling and somebody to be feared and God was just out for himself and he wanted what was on his own self-interest. And so eventually God became aware of this and he urged Lucifer to come back into harmony, not because God is has an ego trip, not because he's controlling, but because God knows that the happiness of the universe depends on creatures harmonizing with God's love, love of other-centered self-giving love. Well, Lucifer would have nothing of it, and so he had this open rebellion against God, and a third of the angels were convinced that Lucifer was right, and God had to, to bar Lucifer from heaven, not because he didn't love him, not because God was trying to be controlling, but because he needed to maintain order in heaven. God could have easily, of course, just snapped his finger and obliterated Satan, but he knew that if he would obliterate Satan, that Satan's questions would not just be automatically obliterated. In fact, they would perhaps be all the more serious in the minds of the rest of the created world, the created universe. Because if somebody questions a superior and that individual is taken out, others might assume that the questions that were raised had some legitimacy. And so God knew that he needed to play the long game. God knew that he needed to allow Satan's, his agenda to play out because in the end, God would win. God would demonstrate that his heart was that of love. Well, eventually God created life on this earth and he brought Adam and Eve into existence, the first created beings and everything was perfect and good. Everything was awesome. And he placed them in a garden called Eden, which literally means pleasure and joy. And so all was in harmony on this planet called Earth and all was good. God gave them even a special day, the Sabbath, where once a, a week they could for 24 hours not have any other distractions, but just be in relationship with each other and be in relationship with God and everything was good and perfect and pleasurable. But God also gave Satan his chance to have his way with Adam and Eve, because if God didn't give Satan a chance, then Satan could claim that God was being unfair, that God was trying to stack the deck against him. And so Satan was given opportunity to try to bring Adam and Eve into, uh, into, uh, harmony with his ways. And so there was a tree in the garden that God said was off limits to them. He said, you could eat of any other tree, but not this tree, because in the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Well, unfortunately, Adam and Eve, they wandered over close to that tree and Satan was able to, to draw them into conversation. And he started to undermine God's character and start putting doubt in the mind of, of Eve who had been created as Adam had in the image of God, able to freely choose her own behavior. And so 
Satan subtly cast doubt in her mind and said, basically, God's not trustworthy. God's not who he says he is. God's just trying to keep good things from you. And so unfortunately, Adam and Eve believed the lies and they ate of the tree, the fruit of that tree. And immediately they felt shame and they felt guilt and they felt disconnected from God. And they should have experienced death, but God was able to step in and say, you know what? I'm taking the blame for your behavior. I'm taking responsibility for what you've done. And I will send a rescuer to deliver you from your guilt and your shame. I'm sending a rescuer to save you from the decisions you have made. I'm sending a rescuer to take upon himself the consequences for your decision to disconnect from me but it's not going to be right away. The rescuer will will come in the future. And so ever since then, Adam and Eve and their children and their children's children were looking forward to this rescuer, but the world very quickly spiraled out of the control and there was great hatred and there was great violence and there was great animosity towards God and there was hatred towards God and they started setting up religions that required children to be sacrificed and they thought God was controlling and and hate-filled and angry and vengeful and eventually things got so bad that there was only a few people on earth that had any type of love for God and so God actually had to hit the reset button not because he wasn't loved but because if he didn't hit the reset button the world would literally self-destruct and so he had this man named Noah build an ark and Noah and his wife and three sons and their wives, they all went on the ark and God saved them through the storm that he sent upon the whole world as as he hit the reset button so that God could preserve a family that would be able to have the rescuer born through. Eventually, along came a man named Abraham and God called him and he said, you're basically the only man on earth that I see my love living through. And so I'm going to take you and I'm going to bless the world through you. And you're going to go and your children are going to bless the world. And so through the line of Abraham came a people named Israel. And eventually that people, Israel, they were given the task of of sharing the good news of who God was to the world. But they themselves failed again and again and again. But God still promised them. He said, I know that you're not up for the task. I know that you have failed again and again and again, but I still believe in your family and I will still send a rescuer through your family to get you out of the mess that that has been made and I will reconnect heaven and earth. And so eventually one day, through that family, through Abraham's family, through Israel, the family of Israel, God raised up this young woman named Mary. And she became pregnant, not through another human being, but she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, that family member of God in heaven. And that baby that was to be born would be the great rescuer and he was eventually born and they gave him the name of Jesus. And he was literally the son of God. He was literally God in human flesh, which had never been done before 
in the history of the universe that God would become a creature himself. And he did it all because he came to rescue us, that he came to reconnect heaven and earth. He came to show what God is really like, that God is so characterized by love that he would be willing even to become a human being. And so Jesus, the Son of God, literally the Son of God, and yet also the Son of Man, lived on this earth, and he experienced all that humans experience. He experienced sadness, and he experienced hunger, and he experienced pain, but he always remained faithful to his Father in heaven. He never diverged from the path of love. He never diverged from the path of selflessness. He always lived to give. He always lived to bless others. He always lived to serve others. He never was mean to anybody. He was never unkind to anybody. He spent three and a half years healing people and explaining to them what the Father in heaven was like. Well, this didn't sit well, though, with the leaders of Israel because they had a certain image in their mind of what the rescuer was supposed to be all about. They thought the rescuer was going to rescue them from the the rule of Rome who had who had taken charge of them. And they thought that the rescuer would follow their man-made rules. But Jesus came to live out the rules of God in heaven. He came out to live out the law of love that God had had introduced to the universe when he created it. And so the religious leaders got so angry and so upset that they actually took Jesus and they placed a wooden cross on his back. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they led him outside the city of Jerusalem and they thrust him down in the ground and they nailed his arms and his legs into that wooden cross. And there Jesus experienced what a selfish self-centered human beings deserve, and that is death. And Jesus literally felt in his very being that he was going to cease to exist for all eternity, that he was going to be obliterated and annihilated, and he was overwhelmed with grief but he was doing it to rescue you and me. He was doing it because he was taking our blame. He was saying, my bad, I'm the one responsible for their selfishness. I'm the one to blame for their self-centeredness. I'm the one to blame for their meanness and their hatred and their anger and their impatience. And he placed it all upon himself. And he was willing, though, to save us at any cost to himself. And so he died there that Friday afternoon. They took him down off the cross. They put him in a grave. He rested during those Sabbath hours on that Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, when all hope seemed lost, the earth shook and there was the stone from the tomb was rolled away, and, he, and Jesus came back to life. 
Jesus appeared to his closest friends and his followers, and he told them that he was setting up a new creation, that everything would be set right again, that there was a new day, and that he had a continued mission for his followers, that they too would go out and bless the world, that they should go out and be characterized by love. And Jesus eventually went back to heaven and he gave his followers, whom he called disciples, that task. Whereas before Israel and Abraham's family at that time, before Jesus, failed again and again and again, Jesus was successful where they failed and then he set his followers up to succeed where they had failed. And so that's what happened. His disciples went out into all the world and they started spreading the news and they started living out the principles of God's love. And they started showing what God is all about and they started sharing that love and they started sharing what was called the gospel, the good news. And eventually that movement got bigger and bigger and bigger and it took in thousands of people and then tens of thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people. Unfortunately, Satan, who wants nothing more than to destroy God's kingdom, unfortunately, he did not give up that easily. And so he raised up from within the ranks of God's own people, those who would seek to undermine God's plan. And he started introducing deception again about who God is and his ways. And so he has subtly sought to undermine ever since then, ever since Jesus went back to heaven, where Jesus is now speaking glowingly of his children on earth so that the universe can see that he's rescuing us from our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance and our hatred and our anger. But Satan is seeking to do all that he can to undermine the plan that God is doing. And so unfortunately, ever since then, there's been confusion and, and there's been misunderstanding of God's heart and there's mixed messages that are coming out and, and, but God is working and he has his disciples who are going to all the world to show what God's heart is, to show his love, to show his character until eventually Jesus will come back. But before then, Satan will try his final charge to get God's people to turn their backs on him, to get God's people to believe that God is controlling and manipulative and full of fear. But God will have a people who stay true to him. And even through the harshest of of persecution and, and hatred and violence coming from those who are not living by God's principles of love, those who are committed to Jesus and who are committed to his love will not be shaken and Satan will lose his hold completely of those that have responded positively to Jesus. Well, before Jesus went back to heaven, he told his followers that he would come again and that the whole story would play out and that we would be a part of this movement that shows the universe that God is love. 
And so Jesus will come back and he'll rescue finally once and for all those who are faithful to him and 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 we'll go back to heaven with God and and those who have not responded to God's heart of love will will die not because God doesn't love them but because that's what they've chosen and Satan will be bound here on this earth for a thousand years and he'll be by himself thinking about what he did and kind of just stewing in his own anger and frustration and we'll be back in heaven and and God will show us throughout history he'll show us the story that unfolded and why things happened the way they happened and and at the end of those thousand years we'll say you know what God you know what you were doing you had it all figured out and your heart is that of love and you're true to who you say you are and you're trustworthy and then eventually God will actually bring back to life those that didn't embrace his principles of love and he will show them as well his whole story and he will demonstrate to them that he always acted with nothing but love and fairness and mercy towards all of his creatures and they will also acknowledge that God is fair and faithful and love and they will also acknowledge that he is trustworthy and yet since they did not embrace his heart of love, they will try to, along with Satan, they will try to overtake God and his people once more. But God will not allow it to happen. And not because he's full of hatred, not because he doesn't love, but precisely because he does not love, he will not allow it to happen. And all those who are living out of harmony with God's love will be obliterated forever, never to be conscious of, of anything ever again. They won't be suffering. They will be put out of their misery in many ways because a life apart from God is a life of misery and a life that is not based upon love, a life that is not living out service and blessing to others is a miserable existence. And so God will not force them to continue in a experience of complete misery. And so all those who are living out of harmony with God will, will eventually be laid to rest. And then God will bring us back to this earth and he will recreate it. And it will be beautiful. It will be glorious. And God himself will live with us on this earth forever and ever and ever. And there will be joy and there will be happiness and there will be love and everything will be made right again. There'll be no more tears and there'll be no more sadness. And we'll just be able to enjoy relating to one another for all eternity. And we'll do all the fun things that we ever want to do. I'll go skiing down beautiful mountains. I have no doubt about it. And we'll be lying on beaches. But most of all, we'll be in the presence of God, who is the most beautiful, awesome, kindest, most loving being in the whole universe. And there will never be the any, any selfishness again. There will never be any more injustice again. There will never be any more racism. There will never be any more wars. There will never be any more 
theft. There will never be any more murder, not because we don't have the choice to, but because we have seen the story. We have seen that God is love, that his ways are the best, that he is so kind and self-sacrificing that we would never want to question his ways again because he has demonstrated to the point of even dying himself that he has our best interests in mind. And so you and I will be in eternity on this earth forever, living out, not, a, not sitting on a cloud and strumming a, a harp, but doing all the awesome things we love to do now, but never with the possibility of sadness and death and pain and hurt and suffering. And it will be beautiful. And you and I can experience that when we respond to God's love. And we can actually experience that joy now. We don't have to wait till then. Yeah, there's still sadness now. There's still pain. There's still death. There's still suffering. But even through that, we can experience a little bit of that here and now. And we can experience eternity here and now as we respond to Jesus' love. And so I want my story to align with God's story. And I want to experience all the good things he has for me now. So that's the end of the story. Um, I will say just before I close, and obviously, again, I this is kind of a very, very much a bird's eye view. I actually recorded a longer version, but I did stop and start over, so it'd be shorter. Um, I would recommend a really, really good book that it's a kid's book, but it is amazing. It's called um, The Jesus Bible Story Book by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It is really, really good. Uh, it may be something that you could share with your unchurched friends. Um, it, it's, it's wonderfully illustrated, and it's, it kind of does see this bigger picture in beautiful, beautiful terms. Um, so, yeah, you can look that up on Amazon. Uh, I, we've read it to our children. I am almost brought to tears when I read it because it is so wonderful and powerful. And it talks about the never giving up, never letting go, God of love or whatever the terminology is. Um, but anyway, that's another good resource for you in addition to what I've mentioned before. But uh, certainly if you want to hear uh, or you want to have access to the uh, larger, longer version of this story, I could share it with you. If you just email me, seanbrace at gmail.com. I basically didn't achieve the five-minute version, and I didn't achieve the exhaustive 50-minute version. So when you retell this story, um, if you want a shorter version, you'll have to condense it even more. Uh, if you want a longer version, you'll have to read your Bible and figure out how to make a larger story. You can do 10 episodes. You can do 27 episodes. You can do... 500 episodes, I'm sure. The point is we want to tell the whole story in the context of the big story and how God is seeking to show himself to be faithful and seeking to show himself to be that of love, how the whole story in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the rescuer. The New Testament is the rescuer coming. 
and then his followers telling him, telling the world about him and his rescue plan. And uh, so that's basically, we want to just make sure we keep God's story within that framework and that context. And of course, as I said, the bigger story even is that eventually everyone will understand that God is who he says he is. And uh, anyway, that's the long and short of it. And I hope you've been blessed and we look forward to hearing from you and have a great week or year or whatever. But thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogag. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.